Father, we thank you again for the opportunity, but also the responsibility. We ask, Father God, as we humbly come in your presence this morning, that you would take control at this time of sharing. That the words that go forth would be your words and your words only. That your purpose would be accomplished. Your will would be realized. Your people would be encouraged and you would receive the honor and the glory this morning. We thank you once again as we commit this time unto you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. And we continue our study as we look at James. Our text for this morning is James 1, verses 5 through 8. And the point we're going to focus on this morning is how do I acquire the wisdom needed to endure trials? How do I get it? How do I bear under the burden? How do I continue to endure in the midst of the situation? Trials are defined as temptation, testing, proving or putting something to the proof, putting something to the test. It is when done by God, when he is the agent, that word in, in James chapter 2 means it's for the purpose of proving someone, never for the purpose of causing him to fall because God does not tempt persons with evil. That is what is spoken of later on in the book of James chapter 1. And it's clarified there. But when God is the agent of that trial or that testing, it is for the purpose of proving, never for the purpose of causing him to fall. It is the devil who tempts. Then it is for the purpose, and he is the one whose purpose is for you to fall. God's purpose in trials is to test us, to strengthen us. This morning our attention is to continue our discussion on the trials as outlined in James chapter 1 and how we are to endure them. Now recently this matter has really come home, or come close to home. As I consider the trials that I believe all of us are experiencing today. I recently met up with someone who was explaining the challenges they were going through when I, and it was amazing that the Lord had this text available since I was preparing for Sunday to share. And the individual said, I, I, I asked God for a word. And I believe this was that word. The Lord wants us to endure under trials because he has it for a purpose. Let's look at a little review. As we consider trials in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We are told in this text to count it joy when we encounter various 
types of trials. Not to count the trial of joy. And I always have to reiterate that. Not to say, I'm glad that I'm sick. I'm glad that I'm being tempted. I'm glad that my neighbor's child is going through this situation. I'm glad I'm having a problem in my marriage. You don't count it a joy that you're going through. But when that process arrives, you count it a joy. Not the issue itself. But when you encounter that, you count it a joy. And it says, why? Because God has a purpose. And God always has a good purpose. Because we serve a good God. And as intentions, he is allowing or maybe orchestrating the events to test your faith for a positive result. Because the trying of your faith is not for failure. God is not testing you for failure. God is not putting you through this situation with the intent for you to fall, to fail. God's purpose in that process is actually for the building up of the believer, for the strengthening of the individual. God's allowing this process is for your benefit. Now I must be honest, and we have to be honest, when we are in the midst of the situation, that is not the first thing on our minds. When we're having difficulty with that child, boy, Lord, I'm so glad I can count this a joy that my son is being so difficult and challenging. I count it a joy that I just got news from my daughter. Daddy, I'm pregnant. I count it a joy when I got a report back from the doctor that he saw a dark spot on the test. Joy? How? It says, the trying of your faith is not for failure, but for your benefit. The testing or trying or proving of your faith produces endurance and patience. God wants to build your spiritual muscle. And you can't build muscle without weight. Now, if any of you work out or work with Craig, did you know you need to do Resistance, you got to put on some weight because you just can't expect that your muscles will get bigger and stronger by just, what, lifting paper? But God allows us to go through these processes, these challenges, these difficulties for the purpose of making us stronger. I'll use an example of a weight lifter. How is he able to get stronger if he does not test himself with heavier and heavier weights? When you think about it, when he can't bear it anymore, a bit more, just to test and to strengthen the muscle. But imagine a weightlifter lifting five pounds every day, all the time, Every time. My wife is exercising. Um, I didn't tell her. I can use this example. Thank you, dear. Wow, okay. <laughs> My wife is exercising in the morning and she uses weights. And the other day she was telling me, we had some weights that were supposed to be 10 pounds. 
And then I brought home some weights that were supposed to be 10 pounds as well. But she said, but these ones seem lighter. Because the other 10 pounds had not just the barbells, but you had the bar and all the other things that made the weight a bit more. But what it showed is that you, you need heavier weights. And if you want to build up your strength and resistance, you've got to take on more load. Now that, that to be honest, in our humanistic perspective, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to encounter more or take on heavier? Why would you want to go through more difficulty? Because our Heavenly Father knows he has a positive purpose. You lift that weight. You increase it. You stay under that load to build your endurance. And we are commanded, we are told by the coach to do what the coach says. When the coach puts more weight on that bar, we are said, yes, endure. We are told to let endurance have its perfect result. Take it. We are told to allow the process to complete or mature or be fully realized. And the end result is perfection. I, I, I take off my jacket for you, but, you know, I, <clears throat> but think about it. Think about when that bodybuilder gets on the stage and does his poses. You think that happened because he just sat there with the five pounds and he didn't eat properly or he didn't take on the burden, he didn't discipline himself, he didn't challenge himself? No, that was done. You saw the results, the maturity, the perfection because of the hard work, the discipline, the bearing of the weight and the burden to see that perfection in the individual. That's what God wants to see in us. God wants to see mature whole children who are living their lives to the honor and the glory of him. Who are able to deal with adversities and circumstances. Who are able to overcome and people are able to see the glory of God manifested in their lives. It is for the purpose of our perfection, our maturity. The goal to be realized is a mature, full-grown Christian. Lacking nothing. But that only happens if we stay under and let endurance and patience complete the process. As in the days of the early church, today the process is still painful. It's no easier. And anybody who works out will tell you there is no easy road to success. There's no easy road. But guess what? He will find a what? A way. And our God is faithful. He's faithful. We're talking about trials. We're talking about the difficulties we face. And I don't want to downplay what's happening in our country. Because I know we all have our own difficulties and trials we're going through. But I want you to consider what's happening to some of the individuals in the world today as they deal with the trials they have to face. I was reading from Barnabas Aid. They come up with a publication, the church provides it. And it's something sometimes our family uses around the family altar to consider what is happening in the world with other Christians. 
We believe, yes, boy, it's it rough, it's difficult, fat coming. How are I going to make it? But listen to what's happening in Afghanistan. In July 2013, members of parliament in Afghanistan called for converts from Islam to Christianity, converts from Islam to Christianity to be killed. This is the parliament in accordance with Sharia law. The parliamentary speaker ordered the country's national security services to take serious steps to stop the spread of Christianity. And the Afghan media launched a burning campaign against Christian converts. Imagine that. Imagine the government of the Bahamas standing up and telling you that if you are a Christian, you should be killed. What about a place called Maldives? I found it interesting. I had to go look on the map. It's just south of India. And they have an interesting law in this country. Seen by many tourists as an island paradise, it is one of the most intolerant Muslim nations in the world. No non-Muslim can become a citizen or hold any public position, including politics or the judiciary. Civil law is based on Islamic Sharia, and public statements contrary to Islam are forbidden. Forbidden. Christians and other Muslim religions can only worship in private, and there are no non-Muslim places of worship or public worship services. So this right here, in that country, is illegal. Expatriate Christians may not encourage Moldavian citizens to participate in Christian activities. So if you came there as a Christian and you tried to share your faith, that's against the law. Spreading any religion other than Islam is illegal and punishable by house arrest or by imprisonment for up to five years. Muslims who convert to Christianity are liable to lose their citizenship. So you are a Christian now. You are no longer a Bahamian. Foreign Christians may be deported for carrying Christian literature or having Christian symbols. I go into Maldivia with my Bible. You are? When you come off the plane, you will be turned around and sent back home. Trials, what we're going through, yes. But what others are experiencing, let's get a little closer to home. Cuba, the last few years have seen a sharp rise in the number of state-sponsored violations of religious freedom against Christians in Cuba. Church leaders have been beaten up or detained and churches harassed. Groups that are not registered with the state are particularly vulnerable. Pastors have been arrested for preaching and congregations discouraged from gathering for worship. And Christian schools are not even permitted. That's right next door. It's getting close. But imagine one day, the Bahamas is like that. What are we going to do? 
what are you going to do? When this trial is at your front door, when this challenge faces you face to face, how are you going to be able to bear up under it? Lord, should I bear up under it? Should I take this? Should I just run away? Now this is just a sample. And there's a a document called Praying for the Persecuted Church that goes through several examples. I'm not saying this to downplay the trials in our country, but just to note as we consider our own situation. Now what are some of the trials that we may be facing or some of the temptations or challenges here at home? They may not be as, as those we've read, but we have our own issues, our own medical issues, illness of you as an individual, spouse, a child, or some other member of the family. And we talked about it when our brother Ron prayed. We talked about those individuals who are suffering from cancer. That is a trial. That is a challenge. That is a difficulty. They have to deal with that. They have to face that. How do you face that? How do you say to that individual, you must endure and allow endurance and patience to have its perfect work? What about the loss of a loved one? What about the crime statistics? I know, spoke to a friend of mine who went away to visit their home country. And they said in their country, they were away for two weeks. Within the two weeks they were at home, one person died. One person died from a heart attack. In our country, when they called back to where they're living now, they said, wow, seven people. Seven. Was it seven? Mori, correct me if I'm wrong. One time, we had a spree. Imagine that. Seven. Is that a trial? Is that a challenge? Do you have a reason to stay home at night, to lock your doors, to put on your alarm system, to let out the dogs, to close the gates? What about that? Knocking at your door. What about the loss of a job? The challenges on the job with a boss, a coworker. What about the challenges in your marriage? It's always a tough one. Because a lot of times we look at that and say, you know what? The Lord has provided a way of escape. But has he? I'll leave that there. Didn't come to preach on marriage. What about children and the challenges we face with our children? The difficulties we have? And what about the relationships that happen in our own church? Some folks, we, and we rub shoulders, we just rub hard. We have a difficulty with dealing with that individual. What about the other areas? Being victimized for your stance on various issues. When you take a stand in your, in your office, or in your, on the field, or with your friends, on gambling, on homosexuality, on same-sex marriage, on pornography, on the political corruption, or the political accountability, are you prepared to take a stand if it costs you your business, your job, finances? These are trials, difficulties we face, and many other possible situations. But in spite of all the pain and suffering that we tend, that tend to accompany trials, Scripture has an interesting response to this issue, very interesting. And the response is not one of earthly wisdom. In fact, you are probably going to ask, if you were to ask the majority of Bahamians what they would do in the, these situations or circumstances, their answers would probably be diametrically or opposite, totally opposite, to what scripture says, to, to what scripture tells us as how to respond. But always remember, the Bible calls us peculiar people. We read 
Be original. The things we do, the way we respond, how we deal with situations, the world calls us weird. And the Bible says, that's good. They're my weird children, my peculiar people, my unique called out, separate ones. You ain't like the rest. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be different. It's not. That is who you are. And you have been called for a purpose. You are peculiar, unique, called by God to be zealous for good works, to be different than the rest of the world. That's who we are. And that's what we've been called to be. Now, how does scripture tell us to deal with trials? Our question has been answered. What to do when trials come? Yes, we must have the endurance and the patience to bear under it and allow it for its process to be complete. But now, what are we going to do? The question is, what, not what, but how? How do we deal with it? And that's the question we're going to answer. James 1, 5 through 8 says, but if any lacks wisdom, now, now what has that got to do with trials? You just said that the let endurance have its perfect work, that we may be complete, lacking nothing. But now you say, if I lack wisdom, but I thought I wasn't lacking anything. But this lacking is not about that perfection process. This lacking speaks to how are you going to deal with those trials. You know what to do. Bear under it. Endure it. But how is that going to happen? God tells you, if you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We are told to let endurance have its perfect result. So you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if, if in the process of dealing with trials and dealing with the temptations and dealing with the difficulties, if you lack wisdom, if you lack the skill or the expertise, the capacity to understand and to act accordingly in that trial or temptation, the Bible says you to do two things. The first thing you to do is what? What's the first thing the text says? Pray. But pray to who? Pray to God. And what you to do to him? You're supposed to pray to him and say, let you, that individual ask of God. Father, I get back to my marriage scenario again. Father, this woman, this woman you give me. Now, I could use this example because I have a good wife. I ain't got no problems with my wife. So I could use this example. Father, this woman you give me, I can't take it, you know. She ain't doing this. She complaining about that. She talking about this. I can't bear this situation. The Lord says, yes, you can. And I've commanded you in James to let patience have its work. I want you to bear up under that trial and that situation. But Lord, I don't know how to deal with it. Good. 
Lord, I don't know what to do to be able to bear up under. Excellent. Come to me. Ask me. Ask of God. If you lack it, ask of God who gives to all what? Generously. Come on, God. You need wisdom? I got buckets. I got tubs. I got all you need. And I give it generously. Wisdom. Wisdom, and this wisdom we're talking about, it's a special kind of wisdom. This wisdom is from above. You see, later on in the text, James starts to talk about that wisdom. When you go down in James chapter 3, James talks about two types of wisdom. He said, the different types of wisdom? He said, yeah, 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 I need to make you sure. There's an earthly wisdom, and there's a wisdom from above. And you could use either one, you know. And when you ask of God, he's going to give you wisdom from above. Now that earthly wisdom, according to James chapter 3, is natural. It's worldly minded. In that situation, you're going to think about what the world's response is. That worldly wisdom, that earthly wisdom, is demonic. Your response will be like that of a demon. That earthly wisdom is jealous. It's about selfish ambition. It's all about me. That earthly wisdom causes disorder and confusion. That earthly wisdom brings about every evil thing. Now we realize why we need to ask God his wisdom. Because if we use earthly wisdom to respond to those trials and those temptations and those situations, we're going to see these results. We're going to see confusion. We're going to see that selfish ambition. We're going to see the evil that the earthly wisdom brings to that situation. You're going to see disharmony, discord, tearing apart instead of God's heavenly wisdom being imparted. But if we allow and we ask God for wisdom and we get that heavenly wisdom, look at what James 3 says. This heavenly wisdom is from above. It is first pure, free from sin, untainted. This heavenly wisdom is peaceful. And when applied to that situation, it brings peace. It is gentle, yielding, and unassertive. It's not all about me. This heavenly wisdom is reasonable. It's ready to listen and obey. This heavenly wisdom is full of mercy, compassion, kindness. And it yields. And it's all about good fruits. Heavenly wisdom is not just about that. You know, I, I feel for you, you know. I feel for you. I have compassion. No, I don't just feel for you and have compassion. In this situation, I recognize I need to do something. I need to act. 
I need more than just that feeling. That statement when someone comes to you and says, boy, you know, I'm dealing with a difficult situation. Boy, you know what? I can pray for you. But I wish I had one $10. I can pray for you. That $10 I got in my pocket, I can pray for you. But when we ask of God in the midst of these situations, when you're on that job and your boss is giving you trouble and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need your wisdom to deal with the situation. I am bearing up under this trial and burden. But Father God, I need to know how to properly respond. I don't want to dishonor you by saying the wrong thing or responding incorrectly. Father God, help me. Give me wisdom from above. And God says, I'm going to give you what you need to listen, to be gentle, to be unassertive, to be unwavering, to show no favoritism or partiality, and to be without hypocrisy, to be sincere. So in the midst of that tribe or that individual, Father, whew, I can respond to him in sincerity, in honesty, without hypocrisy. I can bear up under that burden. Let him ask of God. Let him ask for wisdom. And it will be given. Let him ask of God. And maybe God will see what he will do. Let him ask of God and maybe God will get around to it someday. Let him ask of God and just maybe it will happen. The text says, let him ask of God and it will be given. So when you find yourself in that situation and you ask of God, you can expect that God will give you what you need. He will. Provide the answer. Give you the wisdom to accurately address the situation. But, and there's always a but, he must ask of God who gives to all men generously, bountifully, liberally, simply, unconditionally, if you ask. He gives without reproach. To cast in one's teeth, God doesn't give to you and say, aha, <laughs> I knew you needed it. You ain't no good, you can't handle yourself. God, don't do that to us. You know how people, you know people like that? Who's give to you and boy, you wish you never took it? By the time they finish talking to you, it's better you kept that. Or someone you, when someone gives you something, you know they come in back. I tell people, see, sometimes you don't want, you don't want receive from that individual, when they come back to you one day and they say, brother, you could do this to me, but you know, I wish I could, but, but you remember that time I, I got in like that, man. Aren't you glad we don't serve a God like that? <laughs> he gives generously. He gives without reproach. He don't insult us and tell us, yeah, you're, you're. but he tells us not just to ask of him, but he must ask in faith. And this is a command, you know, we are told to ask in faith with a conviction of the truth, with a belief and a confidence and a firm persuasion and a trust in who? In who? In God. Not a tr trust of faith in me. 
What can I do? I can work this out? No, 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 no. A trust and a faith and a confidence in God. Not in the money you got in the bank to make it happen. Not in the relationships you got with the politician you can make a phone call. Not in the people you know and the places you go. But a trust and a faith and a confidence and a belief in God. A faith in God. And it must be a faith without doubting. Without wavering. Without hesitation. Without being the word says being at strife or being at odds with yourself. You're battling back and forth. Yeah, maybe. When you ask in faith, believing that God will do it, God says, listen, man, don't be, don't be, don't be waffling. Don't be flaming with me back and forth. You come to me and ask me to deal with this. You come to me and ask me, I can deal with that. When you come and ask me, see, God, deal with that, I stand in right here, God, because guess what? I am moving. You tell me you can deal with that. I stand in right here, and I wait for that to be dealt with. I, well, maybe I can go over here. I could talk to my boss. Maybe I could wake something out. I can make a phone call. Maybe I could wake on that from the back door. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You stand there in faith. You don't doubt. You don't waver. It says that doubter, that doubter is like a wave of the sea surging back and forth, not stable. When I think of the sea, the waves go out and they come back. Yeah, God could do it. Boy, I ain't sure if God could do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think he got to come. No, I ain't sure. And then you're tossed and turned over and tumble. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I should try. God said, no, 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 no. Don't come to me like that. Don't come to me like a wave back and forth, unstable, driven, tossed, blown over. No. This fella, this doubter, like that, understand what the text says. He ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God. That's a a serious statement, you know. God says, you come to me in faith. You don't doubt you don't let yourself be rocked back and forth. Because don't expect that if you're going back and forth, I've given you what you ask for. I mean, from a human point of view, the person comes to you and says, I need a loan. Yeah, man, I got you. Boy, I, I know if you get me, you know. Boy, I, 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 I don't. Um, you still got me? Yeah, I say I got you. Boy, I, 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 don't, boy, I don't know what he could do, but <laughs> you sure you got me? How would you feel? So imagine how God feels. One minute you come into him and say, he, yeah, I got this. Next minute you go, and boy, Lord, I go, I go. Listen, you ought not to expect that you receive anything from the Lord because a double-minded, and this word means a two-souled man, a two-minded man, a man who is in and out. Ah, look at that. You got that individual basically who is saying that, you know what, God has got this. Amen. Let me see if I can work this out over here. He's in the world. He's in the church. He's trusting God one day. The next day he's looking to see if he can work it out. The next day he's trying to do his own little thing. The next day he's coming back to God. 
He's a double-minded, two-souled man. He's not constant. He suffers from divided loyalties. On the one hand, he wishes to maintain a religious confession and desires the presence of God in his life. But on the other hand, he loves the ways of the world and prefers to live according to his mores and ethics. This man says, yeah, I want what God got to offer. I want to see this in my life. I want this. Yeah, but at the same time, but I like what I got over here. I like what's happening in the world. I like how these deal with stuff over here. You cannot be a double-minded man. Don't believe you can expect anything from God. You need to be firm. You need to be committed. You need to stick by the convictions as a man and a woman of faith. That person is unstable, restless, unsettled in all his ways. That double-minded man and everything he in and out, flip-flopping. That's the kind of fellow you don't want to do business with. That's the kind of fellow who one day he's sitting down with you around the table, let's ask God's blessings and seek his direction on his will and his situation. And when he leaves the table, he goes over here and says, boy, let me see if I could work out something. Double-minded. The text says, with a specific application, when you face trials, consider it joy. When you encounter those trials, knowing, convinced that the trying of your faith worketh endurance. And when endurance has its perfect work, when it does its job, you are going to be complete, perfect lacking nothing. But if you want to know how to do it, Father God, give me the wisdom. Give me the way to use the knowledge that I have to know how to apply and to maintain under that burden. To endure. And Father, when I ask you, I, I, I'm not wavering. I'm coming to you believing that you are the answer. You have the answer. I ain't checking nobody else. I'm coming to you. Because I believe. The question is, if you don't pray in faith, as we talked about earlier, if you don't pray in faith and ask for that godly wisdom, then what wisdom are you acting on? Think about it. If when you face a trial or a temptation, and you don't take the biblical approach to dealing with it and asking God for heavenly wisdom, then what are you using to deal with it? And if you're using something other than heavenly wisdom, then what results do you expect? And then we wonder why. But God, I did you ask for the heavenly wisdom from above? Or did you choose the natural, demonic, jealous, selfish, disorderly, evil, earthly wisdom? So members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary.
what are we going to do when trials come our way, when temptations and challenges hit us? Are we going to do it God's way? There is a, a verse in Corinthians that lines up directly with this James text. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there has no temptation, and the word temptation in Corinthians is the same Greek word in James, same word. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But our God is, ooh, our God is what? Faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted and tried above which ye are able. You mean I could bear up under it? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. He will not allow you to be tempted above but ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God is going to provide a way that you may be able to bear it. And God, if I don't see it, if I don't know how and I don't know what, then God says, ask me. I'll show it to you because it's there. He said I'll provide it. So if you don't see it, Father, show me how that way of escape that I may be able to bear it. A friend of mine, I called her yesterday. Her daughter called me yesterday. Her daughter is my godchild. And she was going off to college and we had a talk and a prayer before she left. But I called her mother back and we were talking about some issues at my job, DEC. Yeah. You know, I couldn't leave before I hit on that one, eh? She was reminding me of what we used to do. When she was at BEC, we had a prayer group. It used to meet in the morning, 7 o'clock. And as she said, it started off at 3, and by the time it continued to grow, we were up to 40 individuals. But guess what we did? We stopped. I say, Lord, it's amazing. I'm looking at this passage in James chapter 2 dealing with trials and temptations and difficulties and I'm not applying it. Maybe I believe I, maybe the union could handle it. Maybe the, the politicians will work it out. Maybe my boss will deal with it. But why haven't I asked my Heavenly Father for wisdom? Why haven't I continued in his presence in prayer, seeking his face and calling on the all-powerful God to intervene in the affairs of men. Why am I not following the text? Because he says, if I ask in faith, for the wisdom to know how to deal with my specific challenges. He will. He will answer. Do we believe this to be 
the word of God. Do we really believe this to be truth? If we believe it to be truth, then we got to take our God who is faithful. I mean, we, we sing about it all the time. He's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. But if he's faithful, why aren't we putting our faith in a faithful God and taking him at his word? He's faithful to this word. He will accomplish it. That is his promise. I will do it. But we got to trust him. You got a trial? You got a problem? You got a situation, a temptation? Go to our Heavenly Father and ask him for the wisdom and the generous God that we serve, the faithful God that we serve, will provide what we need and give us the answers to endure for our good and for his glory. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your word is truth. We are your children. And as I am encouraged, your word says, in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Your word. I pray, Father God, that this week, this year, in our homes, on our jobs, in our relationships, in all that we are, we would be truth walkers. We will take you at your word and see you show up. And as someone says, show off for your honor and for your glory. We thank you, Father God, because you are, in spite of us, faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.